I would rather share than try and be secretive about the tools that I'm using to be successful. I'm more just in it for the solution and whatever's going to be the best tool for the right job. You know, it's only fair to be a good citizen as a company where if you're building something that's on the internet and open, you might as well share it. And that helps with so many things. It's not just good for the employees, but it's good for our company too, being able to say that we give back to open source. I think it's great that we're trying to make a move to support open source as like, almost like a career path as a business. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we got Tanner Lindsley. Hey, everybody. Tell us uh, what you do and why you're here. As a non-tech person, I'm married. I've got a little boy, and I live in Utah right now. I'm a software engineer. I really like uh, open source a lot. I speak occasionally, and I'm just really, really obsessed with React most of the time. Sometimes I get a little loud on Twitter, probably. <laughs> but uh, I co-founded a business here in Salt Lake called Nozzle, and... Uh, you know, I spend most of my time just working on new features for Nozzle. I, I'm over all of the UI and UX for Nozzle right now. So in the process of doing that, I, I've had an opportunity to make a lot of open source libraries and use a lot of open source libraries. So I'm very active uh, in the open source community. Yeah. Are you able to zoom out and talk about more of what Nozzle is and like how open source sort of is involved? Absolutely. So Nozzle... It's an enterprise keyword rank tracker, which is kind of a mouthful. Sounds like a lot of business. <laughs> yeah, you can think of it like, so it's like a SaaS or a DAS company, so it's like software data. It's an analytics tool that more or less is reverse engineering how Google search rankings work. So a lot of businesses have marketing teams that you know need to be able to track where they rank in Google and why and where their competitors rank in Google. And we try and surface as much of that data as possible to them to make them productive. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds like a very clear business need. Because I, I know some people who, like before they start a new product, or even like name something, they're actually going to search and see if it's ranking. And if they if it's like some weird... <laughs> yeah. I guess Nozzle's not a good, a good one, but like if you had like... The word Google before Google was a thing, then you can see, oh no, it's not even ranking. Right, non-existing. Exactly. We can we can own that name. So is a bit of that too as well? Or is this like all this? There's a bit of that, but most of the people that are using Nozzle are they're big businesses that rely on organic search for a lot of their traffic and a lot of their lead generation. You'd be surprised, but there are companies who are tracking millions of these keyword phrases in Google trying to get their website to rank in those keyword phrases. And you know, and if, if you can succeed in doing that, it's so much free, essentially free investment of getting traffic to your site and leads and stuff like that. You got to work for it, but organic search is very powerful. So it's, it's valuable at every, at every end of the spectrum for big businesses and for you know, little ones. It's just the, the tools you use on that spectrum just are different depending on where you are. Yeah, so speaking of value, like what's the value of Open sourcing all the stuff that you're you're building or supporting or 
bring it in? Yeah, so Nozzle itself has a ton of proprietary stuff on the back end and and pipelines and you know things that I don't even really work on directly. But as far as like the front end goes, I've always imagined like I don't know the the internet to me and front end everything about UI and UX is it seems very open and to me is like you can reverse engineer a website. You know, you go to the website, you can see it. You can pretty much know how it's going to work. So I've always approached what I do as an engineer, not as something that's like very proprietary, I guess. I would rather share than try and be secretive about the tools that I'm using to be successful. So, you know, clearly there's secret sauce to our application, even on the front end, you know, that doesn't really apply to everybody. But there's so many things that all types of companies are worrying about. And some of those are like libraries that I've built, right? So React Table is one of the libraries I built because everybody has tables. Everybody needs data tables. and So this is specifically a, a, a table library to add like a spreadsheet looking like thing into your... Uh... Uh, yeah, I mean, like if you're going to build a table, you're going to want sorting and filtering and grouping. You might want pagination. You might want a lot of these features that don't come out of the box with like HTML tables, right? So React Table is just a, a library that helps you build those tables with the least amount of work possible. Yeah, so you mentioned it already, and uh, the reason I, I knew of you originally was React Static. Yeah. Back when React was like pumping, like the community was pumping through like a bunch of like one-stop toolkits to get a React app up and going, mm-hmm. and like there was a bunch of them. We can spend at least ten minutes listing them all, but like, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> curious about like the story behind React Static, and like, did that also come from Nozzle and a need internally? Well, I mean, a couple of years ago, we weren't a big company, or we aren't even big now, right? But it still was just a few of us. So I had to make a marketing site on top of building this SaaS application, and you know, I I just didn't like how the tools looked for doing that at the time. Like, I tried Hugo. And, and all these tools are great, you know, but I, I tried Hugo and I, I did try Gatsby and I had some really long talks with, you know, Kyle Matthews about Gatsby in the early days. And all these tools were really great, but they just didn't fit my style of how I wanted to, to build like a, a marketing site. And, you know, part of it is I just wanted to learn about it. So I started building React Static just so I could use it to build Nozzle's marketing site. And it turned into something bigger, you know, people wanted to. Like you said, people were exploring so many ideas at the time of one-stop tools to build your your applications, and it kind of turned into that. And it got really big for a little while. And honestly, I'm not. I, I don't really have like any like sacred projects. You know, I, I'm more just in it for the solution and whatever's going to be the best tool for the right job. And it, it wasn't too long after React Query kind of had its heyday a little bit that. Next, JS came out with some new versions that really nailed what I was looking for. And I just decided that I was going to, you know, pass the baton and let somebody else manage React Static and just kind of move on. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's like, I guess that's a hard thing for some, a creator slash maintainer to do. Actually, I don't really know many maintainers or creators that pass it on. I've heard of a lot of projects that walk, people walk away and then like, just basically walk away and the thing just sort of flounders. But yeah, big ups to you for uh, <laughs> passing on the baton. Well, it had a lot of users, people that really cared about it, and not just like hobby users, but there were businesses that were built on top of React Static. And I just couldn't 
I didn't feel right just leaving them in a lurch, you know? Yeah. And I didn't just give it to anybody. I, I spent a, a good month or two looking for candidates of, of companies and organizations who would be able to, you know, foster the growth of React Static and keep it going and, and even make it better than I could have, you know? And luckily I, I did find some of those people and, and they're doing a great job of taking care of it now, so... Excellent. Yeah, because I definitely still see it around. It still shows up on list of things yeah. to to use. So, is there like um, I, I'm I'm assuming there's since companies are already involved, there's like a good community of contributors and maintainers going forward. Oh yeah, I mean, recently they've moved to TypeScript, and there's plenty of TypeScript advocates out there now. You know, so I mean, people love that. There's tons of plugins. People are building plugins left and right. So yeah, it seems really healthy. It's definitely not like this huge behemoth like, you know, Gatsby or Next or something like that. But it doesn't need to be, you know. It, it has its little corner of the market and it does a good job. Yeah, so I'm curious about the React Query too as well. Because that's like one of the more recent projects I've seen you sort of ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I even like tinkered with uh, with one of my projects as well. So like, what's the story behind that? Oh, React Query is like, oh, it's my love story right now. I, I'm just really, really loving it. Like, you know, React Hooks came out, and I wrote an article way back when React Hooks came out that I was just kind of exploring how hooks are just going to change everything about how we do state management, you know. And I didn't even know myself what was going to happen. I just knew that it was a game changer. And I've been exploring these ideas a lot over the last, like, year and a half, you know. And finally, I, I found some patterns that were starting to make sense to me on how to, like, pull asynchronous data into my app, you know. I First, it was moving away from Redux and and then trying to build little promise hooks here and there. I tried Apollo, you know, just kind of feeling out all the options out there. And I felt this gap in the ecosystem for a tool that would give you the productivity of something like Apollo, but just without all of the opinionated stuff about GraphQL, just a REST-oriented tool. Yeah. And, and so I started building it and like... It wasn't even D1, and man, it made me really productive. I put it into Nozzle's app right away, and it just simplified so much of what I do. And the one thing that I saw it simplify the most, that uh, I've been talking so much about this with people, it makes me so excited, is that when I moved to React Query, I noticed that my global state, <laughs> I'm quoting my fingers right now <laughs> around global state, is, is that it wasn't so global, you know, and there wasn't a whole lot of it. Like 95% of my application was just this, this cache of data from the server. And, and after I moved to React Query, I just kind of took the rest of that global state and, and just put them into some context and providers, and you know, it was good to go. Yeah, so under the hood, are you using the React hook, the context API? Yeah, it, it uses context to communicate. It doesn't need to do this because it would work fine, but some people get skittish about using context for global state. So it actually uses the same similar like a similar paradigm as Redux where it just has a, a pub sub model that will re-render components, you know, specifically when they need to. But it does use context to pass that information down and and it uses hooks throughout to subscribe to queries and make sure that everything's in sync. In fact, the entire library is just a basically a collection of hooks like use query you know, use mutation. So yeah, I feel like with the the hooks, I feel like I have a better under, I have a better context of the context API at this point. Oh yeah, because like 
with the Redux, like I understood it because like I did all the tutorials and built Redux from scratch and all that other stuff. But like this was my opportunity to sort of like really start using it after everybody told you not to use it. So in my exploration to basically having that sort of global state and that caching, uh, what I really wanted was caching for my site, and I didn't want right. to build in something hefty. So I started using context and then using like some light like tokenage and local storage and stuff like that. And like yeah, for the most part, I got I got what I needed to get done, and I didn't have to sort of like involve a, a very large library. Right. And you know, a good way of been describing to people what like React Query is technically is it's basically it is a global store for your app, but it's just one that is specifically built to handle asynchronous cached resources. So all of the refetching and lifecycle logic is just cooked in. So by removing so much of all of that server cache from your global state and putting it into a tool that's dedicated to it. And it'd be the same thing if you were to move to something like Apollo. You'd realize that, wow, most of my state really isn't state. It's just server cache. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, the thing I like about the React query, and like I think there's a couple other people who are approaching this problem, is it actually it looks a lot like Relay, where like Relay, though it's like super GraphQL heavy, it was like a nice approach to like co-locate your your fetch requests within your React application. I know we went through this whole like cycle of whether to do like um, I forgot even those different styles like the class-based components, but then we had like these container components right. that had extra work, and then we had yeah. like now we're up to hooks, but I forgot all the other like styles of components, function components, yeah, and like everybody was sort of trying to figure out the best way to render props were like super yeah render props hot yeah right before hooks came out you know render props were like you have to use render props. Yeah, and it's funny because like I spent like probably two years up until like last year, sort of not really paying attention to React because I didn't have any sort of daytime projects that needed me to ship fast or stay up to date on React. Mm-hmm. So I sort of just kept doing the same thing I already knew how to do, and I missed all those like I think as render props were getting big, that was like the last thing I learned. And like in between that, I was just sort of like I'll just do my own thing. And I came back and hooks were done. Like they were talked about them for so long, and then they were done. And I was like, oh, let me just switch this thing. And uh, it's been like today. It feels great. Like I don't have any problems of trying to get data, or co-locating data, or like that approach. I think the pain was more of just converting a bunch of files to, to right. use hooks. Yep. Yeah, and you know I, I hear that from so many people. Is that you know post hooks, React is just a, so much more expressive and and productive. I guess it is for me. So. So uh, one other thing I wanted to, to touch base on, and like, uh, thanks for like talking through some of these projects and getting like the the secret sauce behind these open source projects, because I think most people sort of think the magic happens one day and someone has this this beautiful README and <laughs> like it's an open source project, and like I think there's a lot of steps that you get to to like discover that, and I think you sort of like yeah. explained that with Nozzle, like you solved the problem and then it became an open source project. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious of how you. Is Nozzle basically like your co-founder? So I don't know if Nozzle is actually paying for you to do all this open source stuff. Like, what is the sustainability portion of this? It's interesting. We we don't really know yet. You know, and Nozzle's still really small. We're only about twelve or thirteen employees uh, as of today. But right now, all I know is that, like, if I were to, I mean, I would I wouldn't do this right now. You know, but if I were to leave Nozzle, like those projects would die, right? So Nozzle itself isn't really investing into those projects. They help Nozzle, I guess, like in a, in a cross-affiliation kind of a way. 
I always list Nozzle as uh, one of the sponsors on you know all of my projects that I build because in in a way I I am sponsoring these projects with some of my Nozzle time and, and that's fine you know we're all serving the same purpose here but yeah like very much so these projects would die without me at least I, I hate that I say that because I, I would love for all these projects to become community maintained things right. But as of today, that's how most of them are. It's just about, it's about finding that balance. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess there, if if nozzles like, I guess they're sponsoring you from like you're taking your 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 nozzle time, like your day job time to contribute to that. Do you also? Is it a thing for the engineers at nozzle to also contribute to the projects, or is this mainly contributors outside? Well, you know, there aren't a lot of front end engineers at nozzle actually. Okay. Um, wow. I have one intern right now. <laughs> And and that's it. So I've been carrying a heavy load. But your question is extremely important to me, and I think about it all the time. And the answer I can give you is that I want my employees and my future employees working in you know the front end world of Nozzle. I want them to be contributing to open source libraries and and thinking of how to give back to the community. You know, and I think it's a I think it's a privilege and a good opportunity in the front end world to be able to do that where. In the back-end world, there is so much intellectual property and special sauce in the back-end world compared to the front-end. And I think it's, you know, it's only fair to be a good citizen as a company where if you're, you're building something that's on the internet and open, you might as well share it. And, you know, and that helps with so many things. It's, it's not just good for the employees, but it's good for our company too, being able to say that we give back to open source and that we you know, we care about the front end community as a whole is is really important to me. So, yeah, it seems like there's like a, a model that I don't know. I from being involved in the React space uh, specifically, like it's very apparent that there was a lot of people who sort of migrated from open source into working doing engineering at Facebook. <laughs> yeah. uh, like the 2015 between 2017, it seemed like everybody was just sort of like jumping into there. Right. But like that model is real where. Open source has been a really good recruiting tactic. It's been a really good sort of like value play because like there's only so many snacks that you can give your employees and like you know gummy worms and everything like that. <laughs> right. But when you can actually get real value into, hey, you're going to work on something that actually matters to developer community as a whole, which I right. like nothing against like Google search ranking and like uh, what Nozzle is doing like in the day. <laughs> right. But like if you can also sell that. As like this, I'm not speaking to you specifically, but like as a, a hiring manager, they might be thinking of how can we get people not to go to Facebook, but also just come to our, to our company. What other value can we can we provide to them? And I think that is a real thing that people have been taking note of. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing that we should not fail to mention is that open source is really fun. <laughs> it's a blast, and sometimes it can be addicting. I know it has been. An addicting cycle for me in the past, and probably will be in the future occasionally. But it, it really is a lot of fun, and I think that it's fun because writing your own open source library is kind of like building your own little micro business. You know, you get to build a product and and market it and sell it and get feedback, and it's it's kind of good practice for like running a business. It's difficult to make money on open source projects, not impossible, but difficult in my opinion. So yeah. I think that's why it's fun, though. You know, it resembles that to me. Yeah, I, I echo that too as well. Because I, the open source I do tends to always never mirror my day job. So like my interest or the things I want to try out. I think a lot of people like, 
you find this with a lot of genie engineers, they find something really cool and they want to implement it into the project at work when it really doesn't make sense to, because what we're doing today already makes sense. So why introduce like new tech debt? But it gives like open source gives me an opportunity to try the things that I would want to work on every day, but outside the context of work and the sort of like providing all that technical debt and people shunning you for being the one that introduced like, you know, some random non-redux library into the project. Yeah, totally. So going back to the uh, hard to make money thing that you you just mentioned it, I'm curious like what's your thought on because I know you have projects, you have sponsor buttons on your projects, like what do you think of this whole like movement into like GitHub sponsors obviously is one of them, Open Collective, Patreon, Tidelift, I think is the other one. Uh, I know Code Fund, mm-hmm. which I, you know Eric uh, out in Salt Lake. Oh yeah, uh, me and Eric go way back, back before. I think the only one that was out was uh, maybe Tidelift was out and Open Collective. But I remember going to GitHub Universe with uh, with Eric. A few yeah, years. that's actually the first time we met. I was at yeah, actually yeah, at that. that that same table. Yeah, Eric asked me to go out there and just kind of you know be his wingman on his little passion project, which at the time was called Code Sponsor, I think. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that was that was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm really happy to see Code Fund like you know being successful, becoming a thing. I, I think all these tools and move to these tools is fantastic. I have never felt like uh, like I deserved anything for my open source work, but that's because I'm in a position of of privilege, of you know having my own company, and and I have kind of the you know these cows that I can slaughter to get me to do whatever I want in the open source world, right? Like I have my, I guess that was a bad way to put it, but I have all of the, these other things that are helping me succeed in my life that are allowing me extra time to be able to work on open source. So I've never felt like I needed or wanted like a, you know, a ton of support from the open source world. But there are other people out there who like definitely deserve it. These are people who, you know, they're quitting their jobs and they're going full-time open source and they're they're solving extremely difficult problems. And, you know, they're building really valuable tools. And I think it's great that we're trying to make a move to support open source as like a almost like a career path as a business. You know, it's it's not going to be perfect. I don't know if it ever will be. But it's good to see it growing. Excellent. Yeah. With that being said, like I wouldn't mind just leaving it right at that and uh, transitioning us to the picks. So, like that, this was a great conversation. And hopefully, this is going to be a good conversation on GitHub, and people can reach out and find us in various Slack channels or Twitter. Absolutely. Oh yeah. So picks. These are jam picks. Things that we're jamming on: food, movie, tech, all of the above, or maybe not even on that list. <laughs> I know you already have a list, but if you don't mind, I'll go first, and then I'll let you go after me. Yeah, go for it. So my first pick is actually Jamstack London. It's uh, like this podcast is called Jamstack Radio, and Jamstack London is about the Jamstack, and it's based in London, so pretty self-explanatory. Uh, happening at the end of May, so May 27th and 28th. Please check it out. Uh, grab a ticket or submit to the CFP if it's still open by the time this actually ships. And uh, yeah, definitely check it out. I've always had a good time with the Jamstack events. I always tend to always learn something new, and someone sort of pushing the jam in a different—not a different direction, but sort of like spreading it outwards into like covering more things than just static site generators or React and stuff like that. So uh, I always come away like learning tons of tons from there. Yeah. Uh, my second pick—I was just in New Orleans last week, so we're actually recording the day of Mardi Gras. Uh, so some some sort of inside baseball, if you wanted to know when we record. And uh, yeah, so I, I spent the week before Mardi Gras in New Orleans, which 
honestly, it's still kind of crazy. Like the parties actually get going the weekend before, or even the week before. So yeah, it was it was interesting to be there. But I I was way more interested not in the parties but in the food. So if you are based in the U.S. or if you've heard of the U.S., you've probably heard of like Cajun food and like that Southern um, style cooking. Oh yeah. And uh, I don't know if it gets out to Utah. You guys got a bit of Cajun food out there? Oh yeah, we like you won't see very many like Cajun places out here, but you'll see a lot of places that do like a Cajun dish, right? Yeah. There, there is one place actually downtown Salt Lake that has some Cajun food. Actually, I ate there with a group at uh, React Rally last year. Okay. And it was delicious. Like, there's a few spots that are really good, but I, I agree, it's. So delicious. Yeah, like New, New Orleans is like it's an interesting place. Not only did it bring us jazz, which is like the first American style music, but also gave us like the the Cajun, the Creole cooking. But what I did learn is that Cajun and Creole are different. Like normal people just sort of like pitch it as Louisiana style cooking. Right. The irony is like my father in law is a chef who learned in Baton Rouge and like cooked for LSU for the football team for quite wow. a bit. But yeah, so basically it just comes down to Cajun's a thicker roux. So if you have like a gumbo, it's going to be a thicker mm-hmm. uh, like stew. And then a creole is going to be a thinner, but way more seasoned. Mm. Um, so if I butchered that, like feel free to hit me up and at me on Twitter. <laughs> um, but I found that in New Orleans there's way more creole food than Cajun, which I super enjoyed. Wow. Uh, so definitely check that out. And then I had one more pick, which I just wanted to mention and have in the list, which is I just did a, a blog post on Dev2, which is called a path to open source. And it kind of like sort of sums up like what we were just talking about and sort of like sustainability and also this contributing back. Mm-hmm. I personally found that I I consume a lot of open source, but I'm always looking for places to contribute. Uh, so I recently started contributing to like the not really contributing, I've been doing some reviews of the PRs for graphical, uh, just sort of helping out where I can, like some non-technical help or and then when I start getting some more bandwidth, hopefully next week, I can start Helping out with that project, but that project is actually getting a whole like facelift. Oh, that's awesome! So it's kind of hard to sort of jump in in some in progress stuff. So I'm hoping just just to keep an eye on it. Right. But with that being said, I'll link that uh, that blog post into the show notes. And uh, Tanner, you want to take it away? Sweet. Yeah. So my first one on the list, uh, we kind of already talked about it, but React Query. Just today, I was told that React Query was nominated for uh, an open source award at. React Summit. Congrats! So I, that's kind of like top of mind for me right now. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> so I don't, I don't even know if there's like a, a public way to vote on that, to be honest. But I looked it up. It's like osawards.com/react or something like that. Who is uh who's running the OS Awards? I've never even heard of that before. It's uh so it, it was React Amsterdam, but now it's React Summit. It's called React Summit now. And it's huge. It's like 1,500 people at this conference, I think. It's in, it's in Amsterdam. And fun fact, I was actually nominated last year for an open source award for React Table. But I was going up against MDX deck. So I was like, no way. Yeah, MDX was huge last <laughs> yeah. year. Yeah, it was. So React Summit's really cool. They, I would love to go to React Summit. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to to justify that one this year. but Is it also in Amsterdam this year as well? Yeah, I think they pretty much have set up camp in Amsterdam. I think it's going to be there. Excellent. My next pick, the other thing that's top of mind for me is that I just actually got back from Hawaii, uh, from JSConf Hawaii, which was such a cool experience. I love Hawaii and I love JavaScript. So those two things together, it was awesome. And I actually got to speak at that one talking about uh, custom hooks in React. I've actually linked my slides because I don't have the videos up yet, but uh, it was a really fun 
conference, and, and I had fun talking about that. So how much time did you spend inside the hotel at the conference versus being at the beach? Like, did they build that in the schedule? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So they have a, like a gap day in the middle. So it's a, it's a two-day conference, but there's a, a day in the middle where you get to go and just kind of hang out, right? So I got there a day early. With, I took my wife with me because she wouldn't allow me to go without her, right? Yeah, yeah fair enough. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, the conference was inside, you know, during most of the day the first day and then during the gap day, like we could go out and do whatever we want. And they even had like activities that were sponsored for attendees and stuff. So you could go snorkeling or go to the beach and just hang out. Or they had like, um, we did a luau that night. That was so much fun. So like they just had all these really cool activities, like outdoorsy ones. They even had some, like some service oriented ones too. Like, Hey, let's go clean up the beach. And it was really cool. It was a little jarring to like go to the conference and then you kind of come out of it. Okay. And then you come back in and do the conference thing again. But at the end of the day, it was a nice break. So excellent. Yeah. I've never heard of the, the gap day at a conference. Normally, uh, it's like before or after is your time. I honestly don't think I would do it anywhere else. Yeah. But Hawaii makes perfect sense. So, yep. Yeah. And then the other thing, I couldn't really think of any other picks right now. I'm just really invested in my startup right now. I'd invite anybody listening, if you guys have a marketing team at your company, you should go tell them about Nozzle. I'm sure we could do some amazing things for them. So, Excellent. That's all I got. Awesome. Well, Tanner, thanks for having a conversation with me about open source and the sustainability stuff and like sort of all the stories behind the projects you're working on. Absolutely. And listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 